is a reading from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome. It is an honor to serve you in this way tonight. And I pray that our third Sunday of Advent together is blessed. Tonight we are looking at Mary's song, often called the Magnificat. It is one of the eight eight most ancient Christian hymns and is often sung in Christian services. Its name comes from the first word of the Latin translation of Mary's song. The Magnificat is the first of four nativity hymns in Luke's gospel. The other hymns are from Zechariah, the angels, and Simeon. These songs have been identified as the last of the Hebrew songs and the first of the Christian hymns, and they serve to bridge the Hebrew and the Christian faiths. Laura Cottrell has chosen a beautiful piece of artwork called the Magnificat by Alessandro Botticelli, painted in 1480 to represent our scripture portion this week. This painting will also be included in the Advent devotional that she has written, and you will receive that devotional in your inbox with the weekly newsletter. Will you take a minute to ponder on this painting with me a bit? Using your holy imagination, as you gaze on the Magnificat, allow yourself to ponder this unlikely woman of humble means receiving an angelic message that she would be the mother of a great king who would reign forever. Ponder the image we have of Mary writing her song as she holds her inked quill in one hand and grasps a pomegranate, the symbol of resurrection with her other hand. Ponder the person and character of Mary as she lovingly and peacefully gazes into her baby's eyes and he up into hers. Ponder 
the rich colors of her robe, the crown of stars above her head, symbolizing her blessedness. The Bible tells us that Mary treasured and pondered all of these things in her heart. Is this image of the quiet, pondering Mary familiar to you? Is that how you think of Mary? Has it even perhaps become the only way you think of Mary? Botticelli's image of Mary as a contemplative writer of songs is probably accurate. But I wonder if the church, the church fathers, mothers, musicians, and even artists may have overemphasized the pondering Mary, perhaps even reinforcing an image of Mary as primarily meek or mild and assumes her faithful obedience as timid and voiceless. In pondering Mary's words in the Magnificat tonight, we will encounter a side of Mary that is neither meek nor mild. Mary speaks uh, as a woman of strong conviction, as a visionary with transformative ideas. And tonight we will be introduced to Mary in three new ways. First, as a radical disciple. Second, as a prophetess. And third, as a mother, not only as a mother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but also as the mother of all generations who become the church. The Magnificat gives us insight into Mary's whole identity, her courage, her humility, her obedience, and her wisdom. Mary borrows many words and phrases and imagery from the Hebrew scriptures, Her style is similar to that of Miriam, Deborah, Hannah, the Psalms of David, the poetic book of Job, and the poetry of the prophets, especially Isaiah. In her song, Mary sums up all of the messages of the prophets from beginning to end. And most striking are the similarities between the stories of Mary and Hannah as reflected in the words of their songs. From the miraculous conception of each woman's son to each woman's response of praise, there are strong parallels between these two women who significantly participated in God's story of liberation for the Israelites. Let's look at them briefly. Both Hannah and Mary give birth to sons who would become prophets to the nation of Israel. Both Hannah and Mary are illustrations of empty vessels prepared and used by God. Both Hannah and Mary are glorified, glorify God with hymns of praise. And both Hannah and Mary's stories begin with their obedience to God, trusting his calling. 1 Samuel 1.18, and Hannah said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. Luke 1.38, then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. There is such similarities between the songs of these two women that some scholars believe 
Mary knew Hannah's song and spontaneously praised God, paraphrasing Hannah's words. Mary takes Hannah's song and says, this is also my song. As it was for Hannah, so it was for Mary. Mary is demonstrating to us that the word of God is alive and active and breathing in every person throughout every generation. Mary begins her song by saying, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. The Magnificat begins with every part of Mary, literally making room for God to make his home in her. Another translation says, my soul proclaims the greatness of God. This echoes Psalm 103, praise the Lord, O my soul, and all my innermost being, praise his holy name. The Hebrew understanding for soul, nephesh, does not distinguish between the physical body and the soul. For a pregnant woman, the spirituality of the combined body and soul is a well-known mystery. In other words, as Mary's womb receives, her soul and spirit also make room for the Lord to magnify him. Everything about Mary is miraculously transformed, and she knows that she will never be the same. And as Mary receives, she rejoices in God. Why does Mary rejoice in him? Because he has regarded her humble estate. Regard can simply mean to look and to notice, but it also means to value highly. God both sees and values Mary highly, not despite her humble state, but because of her humble state. Mary, a conquered handmaiden in occupied Roman territory, is lowly, poor, and destitute by the cultural standards of her day. This is not the first time God has looked upon the destitute plight of a handmaiden. When the angel of the Lord came to Hagar, if you remember, he says, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. And so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees me. Just as God looked on the humble state of Hagar in the Old Testament, God has seen Mary's humble state. And he has done great things for her. Therefore, Mary says, For behold, from henceforth, all generations shall call me blessed. Why? Why will all generations call Mary blessed? She tells us, For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Not because Mary has done great things for God but because he who is mighty has done great and miraculous things for her. 
Mary recognizes that what God has done for her is because God is pure in his nature and in his character. And so she says, holy is his name. Her praise flows from pure gratitude, like the psalmist of the Old Testament. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him, and he remembers his covenant forever. Mary's acceptance of God's call on her life brings with it a paradox of both joy and suffering. On the one hand, Mary's life is filled with the miraculous. We have the, uh, the appearance of Gabriel to begin with, then Elizabeth's spirit-filled affirmation of Mary's favor with God, the virginal conception, the angelic Gloria on the hillside of, of Bethlehem, the arrival of the Magi from the east, the dreams of Joseph, the escape from Herod, filled with the miraculous. But on the other hand, from the moment of Annunciation, Mary's life is equally full of suffering, as prophesied by Micah, that Mary would indeed labor. Bethlehem, Ephratah, you are too little to be among the family groups of Judah, but from you one will come who will rule for me in Israel. His coming was planned long ago from the beginning. He will give them up until the time when the woman is in pain and gives birth to a child. Then the rest of his brothers will return to the people of Israel. Mary's pain and labor was much more than just the physical act of birthing Jesus. Her laboring was also the threat of divorce from Joseph. The failure to find room in Bethlehem, the poverty of Joseph, Herod's massacre of the infants, the flight to a foreign land in Egypt, the loss of Jesus for three days in Jerusalem. And above all of this, Mary's unspeakable pain of watching her son die on the cross. Because Mary is well acquainted with the suffering and plight of the poor and oppressed, she speaks to us as a prophetess on behalf of those who suffer when she says, God's mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. Here in the center of her song, Mary picks up the tempo with a series of images and past tense verbs to show us that God has been faithful, he is faithful, and he will be faithful. In this part of her song, Mary uses the most powerful language and imagery to expand from her own personal joy to the joy that she feels for God's purposes for all people everywhere. She turns her focus from God's mercy to one lowly girl 
to God's mercy to all generations in the future. Mary is reminding you and I that God's mercy is consistent throughout every generation to those who fear him. Not a terrorizing fear, but a reverence and awe that aligns the poor, the oppressed, the humble with a great and mighty God. She elaborates on God's strong arm, echoing Miriam's song of deliverance as God held the mighty waters of the Red Sea back for the Israelites to cross over on dry land. In Exodus 15, Mary sings her, Miriam sings her song. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in splendor, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. In your steadfast love, you led the people whom you redeemed. You guided them by your, the strength of your by your strength to your holy abode. Mary's song is fully Hebraic in essence, as she continues to draw from the rich, ancient stories of her faith. She remembers the kings of Israel that God raised up and brought down low when she says, he has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Mary borrows from the pattern of Proverbs, comparing and contrasting the proud and the humble, the rich and the hungry. The wisdom of Proverbs repeatedly teaches that the proud foolishly believe that they are self-sufficient and self-reliant, believing they have something greater than God. The reality of their pride brings devastating consequences. This is good news for Mary and her people because they have tasted the bitterness under the proud Roman Empire. Mary says to her people, listen, this is a God who lifts up the humble from their lowly places. This is a God who is about leveling out and reversing the economy of men where the rich are satiated by their own wealth and abuse their power while the poor go hungry. This is a God who intervenes to save his people. This is a God who is mighty, who is acquainted with the humble, the poor, and the hungry, and he is here for you. Her song is a prelude to the countercultural message that Jesus himself will preach and teach in many of his parables. Those who are last will be first, and the first will be last. This is good news for those who need a mighty God. Do you need a mighty God? I think if we're honest, we are all in need of a mighty God to intervene and to deliver us from our own humble places the impossible places where we quietly cry out for deliverance. Where is your lowly place tonight? Where do you feel weak, exhausted, inadequate, fearful? 
the high expectations of the holidays have a way of exaggerating our humble places. Maybe you're crying for deliverance from an overwhelming sense of grief, grief or loss. Perhaps your lowly place is a place you know God is calling you to, like the Israelites out of Egypt, but you just can't figure out how to get there. All you see are the waters of the Red Sea in front of you, and you need a mighty God to walk you through on dry land. Sometimes we need deliverance from difficult places and difficult circumstances. And sometimes we just need deliverance from ourselves, from our own self-reliance, even from the darkness of an addiction that satiates our appetite. Dear friend, what are you hungry for? Are you hungry for a mighty God to deliver you, to rescue you, to lift you up out of a lowly place tonight? Are you hungry for him to fill your stomach with good things? If so, Mary is extending you hope with her prophetic word while the living incarnate word is being formed within her womb. Her prophetic word of hope is timeless because to speak of what God has done for Mary is to speak of what God will do for you. God will deliver you. Tonight we have seen Mary in a new light. We have seen her as a radical disciple through her obedience to to God's call. We have seen Mary as a prophetess speaking on behalf of the poor and casting a vision for the reversal of power. And lastly, we will see Mary as a mother of generations as she points us, her family, to the faithfulness of God in the closing lines of her song. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Abraham and Mary are parallels of each other. Each were called to a radical obedience of faith. When the word of God came to Abraham, he got up and went. When the word of God came to Mary, she replied, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done unto me according to your word. Each were chosen by God, not based on anything they could do or offer or anything they had done already. Have you ever wondered why Abraham was chosen by God? The answer is unexpected and very moving. Abraham was simply chosen to be a father. In the only verse in which the Bible explains his choice of Abraham, God says, For I have chosen him, that he will direct his children, and that his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. Why did God choose Mary? Simply to be a mother. The angel said to Mary, Do not be afraid. 
You have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Each were promised a miraculous birth of a son through whom all the nations would be blessed. Both sons would become servants. The first son becomes the servant Israel, the second son, the suffering servant who redeems the whole world. Because of Abraham's posture of obedience, God's faithful mercy has been known to Mary's ancestors. Now it is Mary who will be called blessed for generations to come. Because God has looked on her, he has chosen her, and he will do great things through and for her. God's promise to Abraham and his children will now be fulfilled in no small part to Mary's acceptance of God's call. And the truth of her statement, from now on all generations will call me blessed, unfolds in the rest of Luke's gospel, through the acts of the apostles, and out into the rest of salvation history. Are you and I not also like Mary? Called to magnify the Lord, body, soul, and spirit? Called to bear God in flesh to the world by the posture of our obedience and surrender to God? Are we not called to a paradoxical suffering and joy in our discipleship to Christ? It has been said that the entire substance and meaning of the gospel can be found in Mary's song. I pray her song becomes our song this Advent. Mm 